0: Thank you for joining us for episode 371 of Live Happy Now. This week, we're talking about relationships, and you might be surprised to find out how little we actually know about them. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week, I'm talking with best-selling author Eric Barker, whose newest book, Plays Well With Others, takes a deep dive into friendships, marital relationships, and every other kind of relationship to explore what we're doing right, where we could improve, and how the pandemic has changed the way we look at our relationships. This is such an enlightening conversation that we all have plenty to learn from. Eric, welcome to Live Happy Now. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. You have a new book out called Plays Well with Others. I just told their listeners a little bit about it in the intro. And this is about relationships, but it's about all types. It's not your typical relationship book. So Starters, how long has it been in the works and where did this idea come from?
1: Well, it's been in the works. It was was funny because my my first book was basically looking at success and all the maxims that we had around success and then looking at the science and testing them. And so I thought, hey, you know, for my second book, I'm going to look at the maxims around relationships, like love conquers all, friend in need is a friend in need. And so I'll look at the social science and I'll test those maxims. And I thought that'd be pretty straightforward. Well, two weeks after I closed the deal for my book, like California, where I live, uh, lockdown for the pandemic, and I realized, oh, geez, like this is relationships are going to be an even bigger issue than I thought. This isn't <laughs> just an abstract investigation; people are people are going to need this. So I I felt like this was really going to be something. So I've personally struggled, you know, with relationships. I'm a pretty introverted guy, and I'm I'm not. It's never been my specialty. So I was like, hey, this will be good for for me to research. I'll learn a lot. And then I realized with the pandemic hitting that uh, I wasn't going to be the only one who who might need some help here.
0: Yeah. And the pandemic was such a game changer for many relationships. I know people who got married. I know people who got divorced. (laughs) I knew people who wanted to kill their spouses and sometimes their children. It was just such a big game changer in Relationships overall. So, did that change how you were researching and writing the book as the pandemic evolved?
1: I mean, definitely. I started thinking about. I mean, because most relationship books are generally very love love focused, right. And It's one of the things. One of the things I write about in the friendship section of the book is that friendship is so powerful. I mean, you look at the the research, you know, from Nobel Prize winner uh, Daniel Kahneman. Friendships make us happier than any other relationship, even more so than, than spouses. And even in a marriage or a partnership, the friendship is actually the most powerful part of that relationship. And yet, as you kind of point to, friendships, if, if you're having trouble with your marriage, you go to a marriage therapist. Your child's having a problem, you go to a child therapist. Friendships have enough, eh. You know, it's like, we don't, we don't really have a kind of, oh, well, it's going to die like a pet goldfish. You know, you're just not, you're, you know, it's like, oh, well, too bad. If I get a new one, you know, it's, it's like, we don't, we don't, we don't really give them the, 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 the respect they need. And yet they they make us happier than anything.
0: I'm so glad you bring that up because there are friendships that have ended in my life. And I'm kind of like, I don't even know what happened. And because of the way, our world is, it seems awkward to be like, hey, can we go talk about this? Can we find out what this was all about? That You're right. We don't do it. We're just like, eh, there goes another one. And um, here's hoping somebody else comes along. So why do we approach that so almost cavalierly when they are so important?
1: it's a great point because the the real issue here is that friendship is is the one major relationship that basically doesn't have any institution behind it it doesn't have a, a proverbial lobbying group somebody doesn't stop being your boss because you stop liking them someone doesn't stop being your spouse <laughs> because you stop liking them and someone certainly doesn't stop being your four-year-old child because you stop liking them you know but friends is 100 percent voluntary And that means that the upkeep of that relationship has to be very proactive and very deliberate. If you don't talk to your spouse for for two months, expect divorce papers. If you don't talk to your friends for two months, eh, like there's no no lobbying group there. And that's the downside, the positive side. And this is the reason why friends make us happier than any other relationship, is because it is 100% voluntary. You don't have to. And because you don't have to, that fragility of friendship means it's pure. You're only there because you like them, and they're only there because they like you. And that's why it comes up in not only the health data, but all—I'm sorry, the happiness data, but also the health data when you, they did a broad study of both men and women, women who were dealing with breast cancer, uh, spouse had you know zero effect on health and happiness, number of friends correlated with recovery, men recovering wow. from a heart attack, spouse had zero effect, Number of friends was, you know, strongly related to whether they, they came back, you know, friends are really, really important. And, and sadly, they, sadly, they don't get enough respect.
0: No. Was it difficult to find research on that?
1: Oh, yeah. you don't know how much you saying that means to me. I mean, because uh, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, friend in need, friend indeed." That'd be a great maxim to explore. Oh, God. I mean, no, it's you totally hit the nail on the head. There is more information on love and marriage. You know, just each chapter had its own challenges like love and marriage. It was sifting through the mountains and mountains and mountains of research studies. Friendship was the exact opposite. It was like panning for gold. I mean, <laughs> it was like, I needed a Geiger counter, like trying to find real research. And it really hasn't been done. And again, it's it's reflective of that of that sad neglect. Friend is the relational term most used in the English language. In other words, we use the word friend more than mother, more than father, more than brother, more than so. The most used and yet it gets so little respect. It's crazy. And yes, it made my life very, very hard. But luckily, I did find plenty of research.
0: So basically, we're saying researchers out there, here's your niche. Go figure this friendship thing out.
1: We definitely need We definitely need more help here, no doubt.
0: Well, so what should we be doing to improve our quality of friendships? Because clearly we're not going to go read a book on it unless it's yours <laughs> and so so what is it that that we can do differently cuz like to your point friendships are so important
1: i mean the the thing here is it was really funny 2000 years ago aristotle defined a friend as another self which is you know like a very heartwarming notion i like that yeah but and it took science about 2000 years to catch up but now over 65 studies show that It's like that's actually pretty accurate when you when you test people in an MRI, when you look, it's the when people say their friends names, you know, in a brain scan, the areas of self processing in the brain light up. If I if I ask you, is this trait, this quality, is this true of you or your best friend? It will take you longer to respond than if I say, is this quality true of you or a stranger? The closer we are to someone—that word close is actually very accurate— the more they blend it's like a venn diagram you know a friend is another you it's like they're a part of you in the brain and that's what's you know really so powerful so wonderful about friends because because if you think about it from a darwinian evolutionary perspective it's like hey they don't have my genes why why should i from a biological point of view why should i and that's the fun little trick that our brain our brain plays is we see our friends as as part of us and that leads to what do we need to do? And I, I, in the book, I go down the rabbit hole on Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence oh, yeah. People, which largely is very accurate. Social science has largely proved most of what he said uh, is very accurate. The, the only one that was inaccurate was he said, like, to put yourself in the other person's shoes, think from their perspective. And the research actually shows we are really terrible at that. But <laughs> overall, yeah, we, we correctly read the thoughts and feelings of strangers about 20% of the time. For friends That's we it. hit 30 percent oh yeah and for spouses we only hit 35 so whatever you think is on your spouse's mind two-thirds of the time you're wrong
0: so we need uh, to stand down Is what you're saying
1: <laughs> we need we need to ask we need to stop <laughs> thinking that we're mind readers because we're really bad at it but in terms of improving friendships most of what dale carnegie recommends are good for the early parts of relationships but it's not good for those deep friendships creating another self like aristotle said we need to focus on more costly methods and by costly I mean, time and vulnerability, we need, to, we need to spend the time and we need to you know, really share things that might be a little bit scary to, to show people that they, they mean something to us. Those are, those are the two big secrets to, to it. I can, I can talk more about it, but those are, those are the two big secrets.
0: Would well, you think the quality of our friendships increased or declined during the pandemic, during the lockdowns?
1: Oh, I think it inevitably declined because that, that issue of time is, is huge
0: it seems though it would have done the opposite and i i concur with you because i just from talking with people and some of my own experiences it seemed like that would have been the perfect time for us to really nurture and deepen our friendships
1: i i would love to think that was the case and i think for i think for for some people that's probably true i think for other people it was a very stressful time we had a time we had a lot of transitions all of a sudden a lot of people were homeschooling all of a sudden a lot of people were trying to adapt to work from home and i think we just got we got busier in a lot of ways we got scared and i think with a lot of that going on it probably it probably just distracted us and i think a lot of people became much more reliant perhaps on social media or television or other things that aren't aren't as fulfilling i think for our closest friends maybe but for those more tertiary, I think, we, I think they may have gotten lost in the mix.
0: So is there a way for us to correct that? Do you offer tips on how to take those steps to deepen friendships?
1: I mean, first and foremost is those key things of time and vulnerability. Notre Dame did a study of 8 million phone calls and basically saw that the people who talk to each other at least every two weeks... Over the course of the study, I think it was a year or more, they saw those were the relationships that were more likely to persist and also research shows that one of the biggest arguments that people get in with their friends is over time, making time for one another is is really is really tricky, especially especially in adulthood, especially mm-hmm. you know as we get in later years, we just get more responsibility and then the other thing is vulnerability and here's 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 a point where I think the pandemic can actually help us in the sense that. We've all been through some difficulty here. We've all had some some real challenges. And I think some some people might be reluctant to discuss that. They might be reluctant to acknowledge the difficulties they've had, being afraid, being scared, being alone. And I think we've all felt it. It's okay. It's safe. And to, to mention that, to discuss it, by giving up a little bit, by showing vulnerability, we we let people know that we trust them. The the key to having people trust you is to first show the trust in them and to say that it's a it's a safe place. If you by giving somebody something that that could make you look bad, that could make you look weak, you're saying I trust you. You're saying that this is this is important to me. And that trust in them usually makes them trust you more. And Vulnerability is, I mean, critical. You know, for not only for the relationship. You know, research has shown that basically, well, as friendships go on, if there's more small talk later in the relationship, that's a negative. And if we don't open up, it increases the chance of minor illnesses. It increases the chance of a first heart attack, and it increases the chance that that heart attack will be lethal. We need to have a release valve. So we need to be able to share things. And if you can't share the difficulties you're going through with friends, then I mean, how how good a relationship is it?
0: Yeah, that's, that's really great insight. And I think people will kind of take a step and go like, you know what? I haven't been doing that since 2020.
1: Um, <laughs> For years now. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, and another thing that we saw, like loneliness was already epidemic before the pandemic, but it's even worse now. But you, I found your research really interesting because you're saying that lonely people actually spend as much time with others as non-lonely people. So can you talk about that and tell us what the difference is?
1: Just shocked the heck out of me.
0: I mean, I stopped. I just was like, "How? I can't be reading that, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, what's crazy is you hear that and you're like, "That, that can't be possible. But the thing we forget is that loneliness is not... The mathematical absence of a number of other people. Loneliness is a subjective feeling. You know, loneliness because we have all, you know, the, the great insight, whenever people go, that's impossible. The thing I mention is, have you ever felt lonely in a crowd? We all have. Mm-hmm. And if if just the presence of other people, I mean hey face to face contact is fantastic, highly recommend it. two thumbs up but if if it 's just the presence of other people, then we wouldn 't feel ever feel lonely in a crowd, but we do because loneliness isn 't just the absence of other people, it is a subjective feeling it 's how you feel about your relationships well that 's when I really dove deep into the data Faye alberti 's a historian at the University of York, and what she found is before the nineteenth century. Loneliness barely existed. Now, again, were people alone? Yes. Did people experience solitude? Yes. But the thing was, we were tied into communities. People were right. strongly, up. they were part of their religion. They were part of their nation. They were part of their tribe. They were part of their group. They were part of a team. They had an extended family. That- so you may have been alone But that feeling of, I'm a part of something, people care about me. I'm not with them right now, but they care about me. That feeling was always there. And it was after the 19th century, the rise of individualism, which produced some very great things in many ways, but in other ways, we stopped feeling like we were part of a team, part of a tribe, part of a religion. And our brain says our brains loneliness is correlated with pretty much every negative health metric. Right?
0: Yeah, but it's worse than smoking now.
1: Exactly. What's What's interesting though is, and this is quoting Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General of the United States, solitude is a positive. So again, we get to that subjectivity. Being by yourself is not necessarily good or bad in short in short periods. The issue is, how do you feel about your relationships? If you feel good, hey, I'm not with, I'm traveling, I'm not with my family right now. I'm not with my my group right now, but I know people love and care about me. That's more like solitude. But if when you feel, even if you're close to people, but these people don't care about me, these people don't know me, I don't matter to them. That's loneliness. And that can happen even when people are there.
0: So knowing how. Bad loneliness is both for our emotional and our physical health. What should we be doing differently if we are experiencing loneliness
1: and that's that 's the interesting part is that you know the knee jerk response and it 's not wrong, but the knee jerk response is oh spend time spend more time with other people and and hey, you could certainly do a lot worse, but what 's really important there is feeling a part of something there was some of the some another really interesting piece of research I found was that if you have five friends that 's above the above the average uh five close friends that's really good you know what's even better five friends who all know each other same number of friends but five friends if it's like hub and spoke where you're the center but and you're the only line connecting to each one of those friends versus a community i have five friends but all those five friends know each other now all of a sudden everybody's looking out for everybody. Everybody's talking to everybody. Hey, Eric, you know what? One friend says, I'm a little worried about Eric. He's not doing so well. And the other four friends say, hey, you know what? They're right. They can coordinate. They can work together. There's more support. There's more caring. There's more thought and involvement than five separate friends. So it's one thing to say, spend more time with people, which like I said, it's it's, it's a good idea. But it's having a feeling of community, of connection, taking those friends and introducing themselves to one another, joining a group, going to your, your local church or synagogue, going to a, any kind of a, a movement or organization, volunteering, doing something where you feel like you're a part of something, you're contributing to something, people would miss you, you add value, you are needed and necessary. That's a step above and beyond simply seeing other people more often.
0: That is terrific advice and I'm I'm so glad that we talked about that because again as as you noted in your lack of research <laughs> um, <laughs> that we just don't talk about it. I think those are such great guidelines for us to have to go forth and and start really working on improving our friendships.
1: It's really important because we we don't talk about it. Yet it's the it's the backbone of so much of our lives is is our friends. You know, especially at the office where you're most likely your, your spouse, your kids, you know, if you have them, are not, are not going to be there. But we can have friendships at work, and, and those, those can be critical. People who have, people have just a handful of friends more than average at the office report being 96% happier with their life. That's not 96% happier with their job. Wow. That's 96% happier with their life. When you look at fr- relationships overall... Relationships overall produced a happiness equivalent of an extra $131,000 a year, which when we typically think, it's like, try asking your boss for a $131,000 raise and see how long <laughs> I that
0: mean, Let me know how that works out for you.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And yet friends accomplish that. And it's something relatively easy to do. We just need to make the time and effort.
0: So we got to talk about the big relationships. Um, that is marriage long-term relationships. And I love your cover because it boldly says that everything we know about relationships is mostly wrong. So, <laughs> so you get our attention right away. So what are we doing wrong? What's the number one thing we're doing wrong with these uh, romantic relationships?
1: well i mean there's there's a number I have a warning before the uh <laughs> the, the love and the the love and marriage section of the book because I don't want people getting getting angry at me where I discuss a lot of the hard truths that some people wouldn't like to hear but we we need the facts so that we can address them and one thing that I think surprises a lot of people is that basically sixty nine percent of long term issues in a relationship never get resolved so those ongoing those ongoing issues 69% of the time, they don't get solved. And that can be very distressing you know, to people. But I think if you look at it through another lens, it can actually be a big positive when we realize that for happy couples and unhappy couples, more than 2 thirds of these things, they don't get solved. It's And you don't have to in order to have a happy partnership. What you have to do is it's more about the regulation than the resolution of conflict, that some things you're just always going to differ on. And that's okay as long as you handle it in a compassionate and thoughtful way. Some of these things, they're not going to get fixed, and they don't have to. You just have to to be a little bit more polite, considerate, compassionate about how we deal with them. Because one of the biggest insights from John Gottman, who's probably the king of of marriage and love research— He found, and this is something that that people can put to use immediately, and it's relatively easy to do. He found that just by listening to the first three minutes of a marital argument, he could tell you with 96% accuracy how that conversation was going to end. In other words, really? Yes. Just the first three minutes. If it started harsh, it was going to end harsh 96% of the time. And if we just take a second, calm it down. We don't have, we don't have to give them both barrels immediately. If we,
0: <laughs> Save some for later.
1: <laughs> if, 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 if we just, instead of making it an accusation and finger pointing and you, if we just dial it back a little bit, we can change that. But when it starts harsh, it's gonna end harsh. And not only were those first three minutes being harsh correlated with the end being harsh, it was also correlated with divorce. Was oh, wow. immediately jumping on the attack Nobody responds well to that. Nobody. <laughs> you know, it's it's Yeah,
0: it's, no no one's like this is my favorite fighting style.
1: Exactly. I'm so glad you mentioned that so viciously. Uh, we're going <laughs> to we're going to we're going to deal with this so much more effectively now that you've called me names.
0: <laughs> oh, oh that Now did you learn anything about your own relationships while you were doing this research? Was there anything that you went, oh, maybe I should do that differently? You don't have to tell us what it was, but oh did it change I, you?
1: Yeah. I mean so so much changed me. I know personally, you know, in terms of the friendship arena. I'm sure I've I've spent many years strutting around like a big tough guy. And you know, I'm not good at being Being vulnerable, and and I don't think most guys are. And you look at the research in general, and women have much better friendships than than men do. And it's it's one of the reasons why reasons why after after a spouse passes, women live longer, is because they still have friendships. And that's because women put in the, the time and they give up the vulnerability to sustain those. For 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 a lot of men, their wife is the center and primary source of their social life. And when she's not there, they they don't have anything. And, you know, it can be it can be very hard for men to be vulnerable. And and I realized that, you know, there were a lot of friendships that that a lot of acquaintances that could have been deeper friendships, but I didn't open up or a lot of friends I may have lost because I I held back in things. And it's a tough thing to navigate, but when when you see the research, both in terms of duration, depth of relationship, but also what the effects it has on your health. You know, right. it's like the Robin Dunbar, who's a professor at Oxford, looked at all the health data. And he basically said he, he put it in a very funny way. Basically what he said was that one year after a heart attack, what determines whether you're alive or not? And he, he said, basically, whether or not you smoke and how good your friendships are. He's like, Yeah, there's other stuff. It it matters. You know, what what you eat matters, whether you exercise matters. He's like, but those two things are so heads and tails above everything else. Don't smoke. Have good friendships. Wow. Those were the two biggest determinants of whether you are alive a year later after a heart attack. And that's really sobering, really sobering,
0: yeah, so important. I think we just don't put enough weight into what all of these relationships are doing for us, and you know whether it's a friendship or a relationship, a marriage relationship, it's like learning what they're doing for us is just an incredible discovery. And there's so much, so much to take away from this book. Well, first of all, is there hope for us? <laughs> is there hope for our relationships?
1: There's plenty of hope for our relationships. I feel in every arena from the book's got four sections. I talk about judging a book by its cover. So like reading people, understanding people. The second section is do, is a friend in need, a friend in need. And the third section is, you know, does love conquer all, love and marriage. And then the fourth is, is no man an island? The issue of loneliness and community. And with all four, there's hope for us. We 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 just a little out of practice because of the pandemic. We we just need a little bit of insight from science and and we we can all be much better and we can we can be better than we were before the pandemic happened.
0: That's terrific. Thank you so much for for writing this book and who knew that your timing was going to be so spectacular. I really look forward to having our listeners learn more about it. We'll tell them about it in the show notes how they can get a copy of it and Thank you so much for sitting down and talking about this. I've truly enjoyed this conversation.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: That was Eric Barker talking about relationships and how we can improve them. If you'd like to follow Eric on social media, learn more about his book, Plays Well With Others, or just find out more about Eric in general, visit our website at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. And as a reminder, as part of Pride Month, We're offering 20% off the entire Live Happy store right now. Check out our great Pride t-shirt, as well as our mental health buttons and our Live Happy hats. Just enter the promo code LOVEISLOVE and claim your 20% discount. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.